have a question for you. I was thinking about this on the way down here. Do you know how many podcasts we've done together? We? Yeah. Not counting your show, just everything in total. Oh shit. Um, it's 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 at least a dozen. Uh, it might be about twenty. Because um, I've done two episodes of movies you love. I've done at least three tomps. Three tomps. You've done six six official of mine. A few tiff ones. Yeah, yeah. We're we're probably up around. And then a dozen. you've done a few of my tiff ones. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's um. When are we gonna call this a new ver- a new podcast? When are we just gonna we gotta do branch it. out? I don't know. We, we gotta we gotta come up with some sort of where, concept where, where I just sit beside you and go. I prefer when Michael Bay did it. <laughs> you do bring out the best in me. I really I really must say. <laughs> Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McKeel. You think I'm kidding? In Toronto, Canada. You're listening to episode 196 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie loving podcast on your movie loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. As you can probably tell from the clamor around us, we are on the scene tonight. We're uh, we're getting out and enjoying the slight upturn in the weather. Spring is almost here in Toronto. It officially upturn. slight upturn, which is to say, it's there's no breeze. Yes, yeah, there's no <laughs> snow on the ground. Um, we are also, uh, of course. I made it. I'm, uh, it's, it's past winter and I'm still alive. I was gonna say. Well, it's it's, it's all the beard, right? Um, of course, you know you, you, you can hear the voice beside me, and if it's you're a listener on this show, it's it's yeah, it's an audio it's an audio medium. I don't know why I'm suggesting people know what's going on. Um, but uh, someone who has been in our midst for uh, six or seven months now. And is just now uh, getting an invitation onto the show after his brother, who's not in our midst. H- how are you enjoying socialism? Socialism is fine. Have you have you taken advantage of the free healthcare yet? No, not yet. I've oh. luckily not been sick. Okay. Um, but I have needed to shave my beard, so right. You know. And you've enjoyed labor unrest. <laughs> you know, you've, you've seen the plight of the working man. I've even profited from it. So you know, <laughs> you should have paid for the movie tonight. Direct from Kingston, Jamaica, now here in our midst in Toronto, Canada. For how long, we do not know, but we are loving every second of what we do know. Finds out. I was going to say, until they find you. The beard would not help you then. Mitch Robinson is here, the host of Tump, the Unnamed Movie Podcast, uh, writer of GMReviews.com. How are you tonight, man? I'm doing all right. Had a, I've had a rough week, but I'm here. <laughs> it, was, it was a long week in one of your two jobs? Yeah. One of my two jobs. I see. I love. I love that I can make that joke now. It's, you know, I've, I've been making it for far too long. Anyway, I can. I can actually make it legit now. Now I'm not being racist. I am just stating facts. Well, I mean, for the next few months. Yeah. Yes. Two I'm, jobs. Yes. Yes. When I can get one great job, then it'll just be one job, <laughs> and then you can say one job. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. On episode 196, we are going to be discussing the new Wes Anderson film, Isle of Dogs. We're going to flip the record over and play something on the other side. Who knows how that's going to work out. But first, we need to learn more about Andrew. This is Know Your Enemy. Do 
Get comfy, children. This is going to take a minute. On episode 18, we talked about salt. 18, 1 8. One of the first 20 episodes. We learned the first film that Andrew had ever seen in the theater was The Nightmare Before Christmas. The last film he'd seen at the time was The Long Goodbye. I know that one. I know. We, we, I, you know <laughs> Andrew and I just went and saw that in the theater a few weeks ago. The worst film he'd ever seen at the time was The Man Meld Earth. The classic or essential he had not yet seen was Schindler's List. And the films, plural, that he wished he'd made were Reservoir Dogs and Predators, the latter of which he thought he could do that way better. Episode 67, Andrew returned to talk about Premium Rush. The film he digs that nobody else does is Speed Racer. The film everybody else digs that he does not is Rear Window. Still? You still don't like Rear Window? I haven't gone back to it. All right. I, I keep to my guns. <laughs> the film to make him cry was The Fountain. In the movie of his life, he's played by Jason Siegel. And the movie he was watching next was The Seventh Seal. Next, on episode 79, the infamous FP conversation, we learn the film that made his love of film turn a corner is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. His dates movie, his first dates movie, plural, again, were Ray and the Heartbreak Kid. His sick day movie was The Blues Brothers. The film to leave him speechless was Schindler's List. And his epitaph was, next time, let's go somewhere like Bolivia. Then, on episode 148, we talked about Beasts of No Nation. We learned the film he loves but never wants to watch again is Happiness. The film that always makes him laugh is Blazing Saddles. The film that genuinely freaked him out is Death Group. The soundtrack that he loves the most is Quadrophenia. And the film he loves that very few other people have heard of is Closed Curtain. Last but not least, last year. What? Have you seen it? I have not. I gotta get on that. (laughs) I know of it, at least. Um, Finally... Uh, last year on the birthday show, we talked about Out of Sight. That was episode 177. The, we learned that when he goes to the movies, unless he's going with me, he tends to sit middle-middle. Um, if he could date any film character, he would date uh, Adam Morales from a, Vi- a Most Violent Year. The dirtiest films that he'd ever seen were Irreversible and Ninja Scroll. His favorite black and white films were Manhattan, Failsafe, and Witness for the Prosecution. And last but not least, the film that nobody would expect him to like but he digs was a broad answer of movie musicals, specifically stuff like Les Mis, uh, because he doesn't get to see these things. West Side Story, man. West Side Story. I know, right? (laughs) All right. Time for the Seldom Heard, round six. Let's see if I can nail this. All right. Andrew Robinson. When you go to the movies, what is your snack of choice? I don't snack at movies. Well, I noticed that this evening, <laughs> like, like I wasn't sure. Like legitimately, like me, I will get a water at best. Like what I what I will do at times is if I'm having like a day of movies where I don't have time, I will buy food, not like snack food. Okay. Um, but like ever since I was younger, when I was younger, like I'd go with my family and. My father, being as generous as he is, would take us all to the snack counter and we'd get all sorts of crap. Um, and of course, I partook of all the popcorn and all the chocolates in the world. But slowly, I think, I think almost part of this movie obsession craze in the latter half of my life, um, the, the frequency with which I go to the theater has made me want to eat less and less from the theater, <laughs> in which it's made me realize that it's just garbage food. For the most part, yeah. yeah. And I should like I can go and get better food elsewhere. Even if I want garbage food, like getting a burger, I'd rather go and get a crappy burger from somewhere than 
eat the food at the theater. Okay. So I tend not to eat anything at the theater. Like I'll have a water or best. Right. Ah. <laughs> I mean, like, really, the thing is, it's not what we're there to do, right? Like, yeah. It's a nice little add-on, uh, but it's not actually what we're, what we're there to partake in. And, and I mean, the other thing too is, of course, we're when we go, more often than not, we're paying out of pocket, and. It's funny because when people ask, like when people find out like how many movies I go to in a year, they always say, "How do you afford that?" And I'm like, "I don't eat there." You know, once in a while I'll get myself some candy or something like that. And when you hear from a family when they're like, "If I go to the movies, That's, it's six tickets I'm buying." It's, yeah, it's a it's popcorn a, for it's everyone. Yeah, and, you know, plus parking and, a, and maybe a babysitter. So right. like I understand those people who are like we can do it once every two months, but yeah. you know yeah, yeah. we have chosen <laughs> a narrow pa- a yeah. narrow path. Yes, we have that not many should really fit in. This is quite quite right. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you know, kind of similar to the question that we started this episode with. If you could spend a day in any movie universe, what movie universe would you like to spend a day in? Oh man, um, spend a day in any movie universe. It would, it would probably be a, sh- a really crappy, sappy movie. <laughs> what? Okay, I'm listening. Um, like I think, I think to my comfort movies, like you talk about Blazing Saddles and and Blues Brothers. But another set of comfort movies for me are really obvious romance movies. Okay. So, like, I'm thinking of Call Me by Your Name. Right. Well, I mean, where. Like, that's probably the more serious version. But, yeah. like, just walking around, like, the way those guys walk around and enjoy their summer and have, like, a free-flowing life to themselves. Like, I love it, right? You want to go to the universe where rich people hang out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where, yeah. like, you, you don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, you, yeah you, go to, you go to Northern Italy for, for four just months. land a beach, read a book. Bicycle around. Right. Pick yeah, some beaches. If you get something done, you get something done. <laughs> right. So, okay, so your universe is, um, be, li, like, travel romance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, or, or like, like, okay, so Call Me By Your Name, or, um, Lost in Translation, oh. or, um... Actually, yeah, we could call it that. Just before travel midnight. movies. Just travel movies. Sorry. Travel movies. Yeah, okay, okay. Especially road films. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. One, the ones that aren't crazy stressful, like, um, the, the Albert Brooks film... Finding America or Discovery what's the okay. name we call it? Yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about, but yeah. I can't remember. The like name. that one's a, a bad version right. where everything goes crazy and yeah. your life goes upside down. Yeah. It's funny because I mean a lot of Lost in America. Lost in America. Yeah. I, I I come away from a lot of those movies and think to myself, man, I really want to go to Greece now. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or I, I really want to go to I mean shit, this week. I'm thinking ahead to like birthday plans and for five minutes I was thinking about going to Budapest. <laughs> I've never been to Budapest. I don't know what's going on there. I might be walking into a war zone for all I know. I was going to ask I don't you. Think so. I how think would you like that movie? Which one? Arabesque. I loved it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and now I, now I want to go to Budapest. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is stemmed from all of those early Lubitsch films that were all set in Budapest. Of course, it's nothing like what it was in, like, 39, but I, I want to go because of those, you know? I don't speak Hungarian. I don't know the first thing about Hungary. And yet, meanwhile, I want to, like, go for a week in Budapest because, you know, because there are movies there. You know about Hungary? Yeah, no, no, not really. 
You don't know about being hungry? Well, I know about that, yes. <laughs> I do know about that. Yes, yes, I, yes I made a bad joke. It's, that's all right. We can enjoy it. Um, Andrew Robinson, what is your favorite good scene in a bad movie? Oh, man. Good scene in a bad movie. How many do you think I have in my head? You must have dozens. <laughs> dozens and dozens. Please keep in mind that this generally tends to be an 80-minute show. <laughs> um, that could be a whole show unto itself. <laughs> I actually have a question for you on that on a whole show in itself. All right. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, good scene in a bad movie. I I honestly am sitting here and I'm thinking back. I'm like, I had an answer for this three hours ago. <laughs> what was it? Because <laughs> I didn't write any of these down like a moron. Um, I, when you say good scene, like what are you talking about? Are you talking about like... Like doubt level, we nominated her for that scene, or even though she's just in one one scene. Or are we talking about Andrew loves that scene and it's a bad movie? (laughs) Something like, but somewhere in between. So one of the ones that always comes to mind for me is when you get two great actors just playing off each other, no matter how bad the movie, you put two talented actors sitting down at a table and you can usually get something out of them. So the one that comes to mind for me where he's got a scene where he sits down opposite James Woods and James Woods is the one who's saying there's shit going down in the army it goes really high up, you need to solve this now, but they go back and forth and back and forth as John Travolta and James Wood would and it's wonderful to watch. The whole rest of the movie is crap but that scene is fantastic. So I'm sure mine doesn't qualify to your standards, but it just I just remembered what my answer was. Okay. And it's really it's really a god-awful movie. I don't like this movie. Okay. But there is a scene that makes my makes me glad the movie exists. Okay. Right? Which I think kind of hits where you want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. It is a scene which I have known to this day called Disco Santa Claus. Right? There was a movie in an era when Michel Gondry was a director people liked, yeah. where he was allowed to make a superhero film. Yes, called Green Hornets. Oh my God! Right? I'm so happy right now. And early in that movie, there is a scene in which Christoph Waltz talks to James Franco, mm-hmm. and James Franco utters the, say, the, the the name Disco Santa Claus. Yes. To Christoph Waltz. Yeah. And that scene is by god damn the greatest scene of all time it all like it comes early enough in the movie that it gives you hope that you're like maybe i might like this movie is it not the sec it's the first or second scene yeah it's really early (laughs) and franco says his name whatever the heck his name is i don't remember what his his character name is like like, he's like he's like well who are you you know you bust in here who are you he's like Oh, my name is Schneebly. Schneebly? That's in, a, in his very James Franco way. And he come, the whole point of that scene is he's like, you've got to come up with a badass name. Yeah. And I just remember the end of that scene, uh, Christoph Waltz in his very Christoph Waltz Pulls out the double gun. He's like, you've given me a lot to think about. That is a well, that is a well-played answer. And then he has the double gun where he's like, I'm not scary enough. No, he has a double gun and everyone's afraid of him. Yeah. That scene is wonderful. Yes, it is. <laughs> Gave me real hope for that movie. So much so that I went back to that movie like oh, years no. after. Where I'm like, wait, I remember Disco Santa Claus. I should try that again. 
Mm. No. no. It's kind of like the Star Wars prequels. It's been, it was long enough when the new Star Wars movies came out that I was like, you know what? I'm dumb. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give those a shot. Nope. I know I've taught myself. Yes, you have. I'm giving those okay. I can leave alone. <laughs> that is a very good answer, sir. <laughs> what is the most violent movie you have ever seen? I'm actually upset because you've gone through all of my previous answers and the one I thought of was actually mentioned as a previous <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. So what I happens, feel, that's what happens when I take a year yeah. in between guests, right? I feel bad if I actually use this movie. <laughs> it's all right. I was going to say Irreversible. Right? Have you ever I mean, seen Irreversible? Yeah, I have. So, beginning slash end, when you see the face being crushed in. Tell people about this movie because I actually feel like it's been this movie is is like 15 years old now and I feel like a lot of people actually either never knew about it or have forgotten. So this movie is if anyone googles this movie what you will find in the cliff notes of this movie is gratuitous rape. Yeah. Right? That's the cliff notes. That's that's the thing people label this movie for. (laughs) Right? Um, Rightly so. We should both say. Yes. Rightfully so. Um this movie is a sort of revenge story um, with Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci, um, directed by Gaspar Noe. And it's actually a story told completely in reverse. So the beginning you're seeing is really the end of the story, and at the end of the movie, you're at the beginning when everything is fine. Right, you start with everything every, is lovely. Right, everything is lovely. Like people have happy lives. Yeah. At the beginning slash end of this movie, you're kind of in the dirt. You're in the muck of it with like some grungy club scenes and lots of violence. Um, and as you go through, very much in the vein of like um, Chris Nolan's Memento, mm-hmm. like you're going through and you're start, starting to understand everything that happened that takes us to where we came from slash where we're going. Right. Um, and it is a it is an amazing film, right? As it relates to just interesting storytelling and just turns of narrative. But boy, is it a rough movie to sit through. Yeah. It's the kind of movie that even if, like, a lot of people will tell you about movies where there are rough things in them where they're like, I'll watch that movie again, but I'm fast forwarding through those bits. Like, mm-hmm. You can just put a title card, rape, yeah. and not watch that scene. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, with it starting in reverse, it's kind of, you know, we were talking about how Green Hornet has this amazing beginning and draws you in. This is almost a movie that's designed to push you right out. Because it opens with an extremely brutal beating, a yep. bludgeoning with a fire extinguisher, where a person's face is just basically caved in, in the back of this dingy, dingy club. Mm-hmm. Um Following that, we find out why this beating took place because we have to watch at great distance, at great length, without any kind of oh. cuts or anything like that. A, a very long. I promise you, if we took a if we took a, a survey of people watching this movie, we get at least sixty to seventy percent of people saying that after around thirty seconds tops, their eyes were on the ground just waiting for it to end. Yeah. A very very long break, um, and then. You get into the actual beauty of the story and how these two people came together, how they fell apart, what they're going through. But I mean, at that point, you're you're on like you you the, the movie owes you a lot of currency at that point if you got through that opening 15, 20 minutes. Um, yeah, no, I, I cannot. That's an answer I expect to come up a few times. 
to that question because it is like if I was if I was to go back to that movie, I would have to jump in past that. I would have to just jump in saying, I know this, I know this, I want all the rest. And just skip. No, literally, I just skipped the break. Yeah, like no, I want, but I want to I, I'll skip the beating too. Like it's not like just it's they're both they're both terrible. They're both terrible, they're both brutal, and and I don't it's not I'm okay, like I'm the guy who watches dark and depressing movies for fun. But this is not my brand of dark and depressing. I would totally go right past this. No, Actually, you know the movie that just came to mind? I rewatched it recently, Under the Skin. Another movie which has almost rape. Almost rape. Which is that violence? It, it isn't violent in the same way that like Irreversible is violent. But there is... Well, I mean, you see a lot of like body violence with like the guys being trapped under and stuff. Yeah. So it's like implied, but you don't like see like fist-to-fist kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but like... I watched that movie a few times. I really love that movie. Yeah. And that movie is a depressing, dark, disturbing, oh, yeah. violent idea of the world. Yeah. And especially when you see like the almost rape scene, I still love to this day. I'm watching that movie and my mother shows up like as the almost rape scene starts and leaves before it, it huh? leaves before <laughs> she sees that oh it doesn't happen and it's this whole weirder thing. But in her defense, I think if she found out like aliens were involved, she she'd be she she would be more upset at me. <laughs> um, oh. And then of course there's the flames and the biker and yeah. all of the things. Like that movie doesn't have as much like blood like action blood violence but like thinking about that movie that movie to me is a it's, violent movie it's just, yeah it's, it's right? very disturbing and, um, and yet I love it and then there's the baby on the beach which like that is probably the most depressing thing I might have seen in a movie I am so overdue to go back to that movie I think I think I gotta watch that tonight I love that movie uh, okay last but not least for now um, what is a movie monologue that you actually would like to give oh man <laughs> that is a horrible question. I'm thinking about monologues, and I'm thinking, like, I want it to be fun. I don't want to. I don't okay. want. I don't want to be one of those monologues where they're kind of just, kind of just preachy. So like, people love to talk. Call me by your name. Talk about that final scene with Stubart. Like, it's a great monologue, right? Talk you don't want to give it. I, I'm like, that. That to me is the dad moment that I don't want to share with the world. That's the dad moment you have with. Right. One person, you're like, that's okay. me and you talking, okay. right? We're good. All right. <laughs> um, you have the powerful monologue, the Oscar monologue. The, the, the St. Crispin's Day speech kind right. of thing. Um, but weirdly enough, the monologue I'm thinking about is not really a monologue in the sense of all of these movies. Okay. But to me, like in my head, it's a monologue, and it's really off of a song that ends up being referenced in the movie and used repeatedly. Okay. Um, and it's from the world's end. I just wanna, I just wanna have We're fun free to do what we want. <laughs> any old time. Okay. okay. Right. All right. So basically, okay, you basically want to give that whole argument at the end with with Bill Nye as yeah. a as a bright lamp as to why we should be free to choose. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I do like that movie, and I do like that moment because here's a guy who has spent the whole movie proving how little he's grown up, um, and that moment comes as this rebellion. Like, it, like we're talking about that moment in a Starbucks, <laughs> and they talk in that movie about Starbucking and how every town and every pub is like every other town and every other pub. And he's saying like, we should be free to choose. We should be free to have 
the you know the various comforts that we want. So okay, that's a that's a good one for sure. Like um, also, I feel I sort of have decided that I think that's my favorite of the Cornetto trilogy only wow. because it's the least picked one of all those. No, no, that's like saying your favorite Beatle is Ringo. You can't do that. I know. I'm, no, nobody I'm likes Ringo. Nobody I'm likes an Ringo. asshole, but you know. Man. <laughs> I, but I do love that movie so much. All we right. saw that movie together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that, that's right. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I'll allow it. Here we go. That's more about Andrew. We'll learn uh, when I eventually come up with the seventh round of questions. And uh, Andrew, uh, you know, gets through immigration. Do we'll I get a jacket? Yeah. I, I, like six I, I, I am getting buttons. I am totally getting <laughs> buttons. Okay. We are going to move on to talk about Isle of Dogs, the new film by Wes Anderson right after this. Come on over. It's the new slang on episode 196. Isle of Dogs was written and directed by Wes Anderson. It was co-written by Roman Coppola and Jason Schwartzman. It stars the voice talents of Scarlett Johansson, Edward Norton, Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, Brian Cranston, Jeff Goldblum, Yoko Ono, Greta Gerwig, Francis McDormand, Liev Schreiber, Harvey Keltel, and many, many more. Can we just say the Anderson crew now? I know, because this crew keeps on growing and stretching. So and what changing. you do is you just add a new one. Yeah, we'll say like the brood plus <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It is an animated film about um, a city in Japan that has outlawed all of the dogs to a trash island because the dogs supposedly have canine flu. Um, a young boy named Atari goes looking for his dog and crash lands on the island which basically rallies the troops and they both want to restore him to health and try to find his dog all while back on the mainland political conspiracies are unraveling now this is usually where i come up with some sort of a clever question and i think where i want to begin is something we haven't talked about on this show too often over the years Animal cruelty. No. Uh, no. <laughs> partially because I am a bright-eyed optimist, and partially because it's a conversation I tend not to get drawn into. Yay, I get to make jokes. But, when an artist like Wes Anderson gets 20 years into his career, as Wes Anderson now is, more than 20 years into his career, he is no longer competing against the rest of the pack as much as he is also competing against himself. So, pop quiz hotshot. Is it fair to compare an artist against their own work? And in that respect, how does Isle of Dogs work for you? Is it fair? Absolutely not. <laughs> but will you? Of course I will. Okay. He set benchmarks and now he has to beat them. When we talk about sports, which is the only other thing we talk about, <laughs> right? When you see Zlatan play every week, he has to beat his own benchmark. When Ronaldo that's a, plays... That's a cricket player, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Ronaldo plays every week, you don't, you, don't, you don't wait for the week where Ronaldo goes like, well, this week I didn't play well. At that point, you say, well, I guess it's over. I guess Ronaldo's done. And you move on with life, right? He needs to keep going and keep beating his mark. 
That's why he gets the golden boot every year and somehow magically scores one more goal than he did the last year. He is on he is a marvel of humanity. Okay. I think he was actually produced in a factory and right. exported to Portugal <laughs> just to kind of cover it up. Right. Um, okay. But coming back to Wes Anderson, Isle of Dogs. Um, this movie, and I don't know how I should take this, but I feel Wes Anderson had a misstep by putting it in Japan. Not for cultural reasons, not for um, whatever reason you want to come up with, other than it felt difficult to kind of engage with a film where he doesn't subtitle the foreign scenes other than having a translator when needed, right? It feels like he wanted to create a shtick kind of equivalent to Chewie and Han, okay. where you're just there... Or and, the Guardians and Groots. Right? Where, but the thing about those scenes, or the, the gymnast in Ocean's Eleven, right? right? Where he's... He wants to create this shtick of you being the outsider and you kind of fill in the dialogue as you're going, but there's just too much of it for it really to work, where yeah. it almost feels like you're missing out. It feels like that scene in Lost in Translation where you're sitting there and you're like, I think he said more. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like, could you just tell me everything he said, please? Right. I might feel better if I understand. But how does that, how does that fall into West competing against himself? Right. No, what that does for you is it puts a brick wall between you and the comedy of the film where your brain is now thinking about, like, there's something there, I'm sure, but I didn't get it. And then by the time you switch back into a joke that he actually nailed in the movie, like, that joke has passed you and you didn't actually enjoy the joke. You're still thinking about right. all of the language barriers, okay. right? Um, and it just didn't work, at least in my view. It's funny because you, you've known me long enough that you've known that in the, certainly in the past I used to do homework going into a movie. And, and to some respects I still do. Going into a movie I, I do like watching a, a filmmaker's canon or I watch uh, you know the, the, the films in a series going into the new entry into the series. And I know. continue to laugh. Exactly. I've actually drifted away from that in recent years and just decided I want to focus on watching new stuff and then when I go watch other new stuff, I'll just I'll watch it. Except this week I did something wrong and I actually watched <laughs> most of the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, in, in the run-up to this. Not because I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go see Isle of Dogs on Friday. it's on Netflix. Yeah, just it was on Netflix and it was on the Splash Bridge. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that. And... It's funny because when I first watched and reviewed that movie and talked about it on this show, I came in a little cold, but a lot of those gaps have since filled in and I adore it. Like, if, if, if it's not his masterpiece, it, it, close. It's, it's very close. close. Like, it's top, it's top three. Yeah. Right. And that's the bit, that was the bigger problem for me is not just that he's competing against himself, because he is at this stage of the game, but that he's following up one of his greatest entries ever. You know, and there's almost nowhere to go but down. But even if we don't talk about Grand Budapest, go back to his animated film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Which is most most people consider pretty much the turning point for him, for them. Where previous to that, he was doing all of these indie comedies where you have all of these entitled protagonists and people who 
not many people relate to, so they kind of get turned off by the movie. Yeah. And so regardless of how funny or good or whatever critics want to say, those movies, the regular public kind of just go like, meh. So yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox kind of brought him that turning point where everyone was like, no, no, no. He knows how to make good movies. He knows how to make funny stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And ever since that movie pushing forward, there's been Grand Budapest. I think there's one more that might Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, right? Which everyone's been on board with. Yeah. And now this, which in my head, I wanted to rewatch Fantastic Mr. Fox this week, but sadly I couldn't find the time. Right, right. Um, hard copy, man. You gotta go hard copy. I have it. Oh, uh, just right? not here. I just, no, I do. So I, I'm taking it from your tone that you weren't a huge fan of this movie. I... And I, I and feel wait, like this to, is to be clear as well. We are doing something tonight that we don't normally do. I think in the history of the show, we've only ever done it twice, which is to watch a movie and immediately walk out and talk about it. This is but how right, it's done. No, <laughs> but right now, no, not really. Like this is not my movie. This okay. is it's 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 saddening because there's so much of the movie that has the heart. Yeah. But there's still so much between me and the movie, and it could be mostly language. Mm. Um, it is also that I feel his comedy didn't really work in this movie that much. <laughs> right? It's funny because I'm, I'm actually... It didn't really work for me either, but it's funny because the technique in this movie is all over the place. The technique in this movie is, is, is very much on point. He crafts some beautiful scenes. He, do, he does some great work with his, his little stop motion thing. But the heart is missing. The heart of Mr. Fox is not here you know the the struggle to be fantastic or to be a, a good father figure or you know or to, to you know rise above and not necessarily keep on doing your criminal ways and to grow up there's no there's no maturity in this movie so many of the other movies are about growing and growth and maturity and coming of age you know this is maybe it doesn't help him that this is one of the very few movies of his that is not dealing with daddy issues at all like there's no daddy issues in this movie and maybe that was it there's doggy issues there's, there's a lot of doggy issues <laughs> um and i feel so sad saying that because it's handsome it is so i can this is a movie i can put this on as a visual distraction while i edit this podcast and have us talking in the background and i'd be happy as a clam but if i have to listen to it and think about the story i'm not going to enjoy myself and it's and actually upsetting because I love stop motion animation so much. Right. Right? Like, I'm a sucker for it. If you do it well and it's there, like, there's something about seeing the motion the way it is that just kind of works. Yeah. As a, as a magic trick. Right. Right? But it's, it upsets me when I get into these movies and it just, like, it doesn't work enough for me to even look past what problems there are. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's really saddening because he's a brand. Right, so you hear. I, I mean, I get more excited knowing there's a new Wes Anderson movie coming than I do knowing that there's a new Marvel movie coming out. Which, and I, I say that as a fan of Marvel movies, right? Maybe, be, maybe because I only get one of his movies every three or four years, not two or three a year. Could be. Could be. Um, um, probably is. Um, but let's okay. Let's talk about what worked in this movie. One of the things that worked in this movie, as as I just said, is it's pretty. It is, this is such a handsome movie. Like, which is really weird to say because more than half of it takes place in a dump. You know? But there was a video essay a few years ago that was talking about his 
desire to crop everything to center, or to, to, to not to crop to center, but to compose to center. He's very much a yeah. writer. And I think I found out about that in between Budapest and this movie. Because never noticed. I don't think I was ever really looking, and now it's all I can see. <laughs> um, but you know, like the, the kind of stands out. The dogs themselves are really are, are, are really interestingly done. Like they all have a, a have a character to them. I can't really remember their names, but I remember what they all look like. Duke, Chief, Spots, Spots. Yeah. There's Rex. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're all dog names. There's one. One's the Ginger. Is the is the girl dog? Nutmeg. 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 Different spice. Um, but, and then, of course, someone calls one a bitch, which made me laugh. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is pretty clever. But it's funny because all, like, all of the scenes that take place back in the real world, back in this Japanese city, they're all really, really handsome. Like, those houses are gorgeous, those bars are gorgeous. That political rally, which looks like a Japanese stop-motion version of a Citizen Kane, you know, uh, political rally... That's like that's all so handsome. It's the, like these scenes are very much right up there with some of the more handsome stuff that he has created, and that's saying something. Yeah. Um, I was just looking up something really quick to kind of back in. Um, but the thing about it is almost you talk about how pretty it is, but like I don't know about you. I don't know if my eyes are just getting old. <laughs> but I feel in this movie more so than the rest of his films. The motion in itself felt janky. Like, oh, there were there. It's like, I'm not talking about like the stop motion itself, but whenever he would do his atypical um, camera pans and camera zooms around, there were moments where like it would focus on the back of a dog and move with the dog, mm-hmm. and I just couldn't stop noticing how the 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 visual of the outside, not the dog or the thing we're affixed to, yeah, just kind of all felt kind of just lost in the motion, um, and it kind of took me off. Okay, right. Um, but otherwise, like I mean, you, anyone seen the trailer of this movie? It looks gorgeous, right? It actually reminded me a lot. Whenever you saw the Japanese city, it reminded me a lot of this one Ozu film that we we saw on the podcast when we did the Ozu marathon. Um, I'm trying to recall the name. I think it's an early summer's night or something like that, um, where it actually spends a lot of time in like bars. Okay. And so you'll get these shots of the of like the streets by the bar. And Ozu loves to do this thing where he just has this static shot, very much like like Wes Anderson. He has, yeah. He has his static symmetrical shots, and he'll just linger on it just enough where. Nothing is really happening. You're just kind of hearing ambient noise and you're kind of just getting into the scene. And, like, if you just keep that alone, the movie's gorgeous. Yeah. Right? Let's not talk about the real movie itself. <laughs> um, some of them I like. Some of them not so much. But um, it's, it's funny, too, because a lot, of, a lot of the jokes are well-timed in this movie. I, I, don't, I know you were saying you didn't laugh as much. But everything from Jeff Goldblum's dog always talking about how he heard a rumor. You know, and how do you hear all these rumors? I just hear them. I listen and I hear things going on. I, I, I literally think that West didn't write Goldblum's narrative. Oh, that he just came with Goldblum, just Goldblumed on his own? When you hear like the conversations, like them talking about favorite foods yeah. or what they were like yeah. in the hand, like I feel like Goldblum was just talking about himself. That, that's entirely <laughs> possible. Or even like, you know, there's a scene in the towards the opening where 
the two packs of dogs rip open a bag and they're like like they're both like ready to stand off about the bag and they're like all right let's see what we're fighting about they open it up it's like a maggot filled apple three fish heads it's worth it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then just worth it and then the fight begins and like that is well timed his timing is still here even if even if the crux of the story isn't there his comedic timing is still very much on point in this movie um it's just it's a it's kind of a pity because this movie sort of feels toothless mm-hmm. and there are many teeth there are 37 of them there are 37 yes there are yeah it, it's it's I, I feel like it wanted to satirize something I don't know if it wanted to satirize like government health issues or corruption or you know our attachment to our pets it like it seems like it wanted to be about something i mean it has the ridiculous context that it gives you in the prologue about the cats and the and the dog the cat guy and the dog people and the child yes. who saves the dogs and yes this the, family the yeah this family that is all about the cats and wants to extinguish and that's ridiculous in itself right. i kind of wonder how this movie plays for someone who actually speaks japanese and can doesn't need doesn't need oh, the I'd translation. I would love and, to know. And can tell me like how the Japanese parts that aren't specifically translated help or don't help yeah. with whatever Wes Anderson was doing. Very much so in like people talking about Lost in Translation scene where where like I've read interviews where um, the the story of that scene was she actually wrote it in, in English, got someone to translate it and never told anyone what it was. Just, like even on set, like, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, just to keep the effect going, okay. right, um, for the scene. And it, that scene in its own silo works as its own joke slash just wonderful moment. Yeah. But imagine if that scene was an entire movie. I, where think, I think we just saw it, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's, it's so strange because, you know, Atari, I think, I think that's the biggest hitch is Atari as a hero in this movie is kind of a nothing hero I, I don't care about him I don't I, I, I didn't give a crap if he found his dog or not um, I he, he didn't have any moments where he really tugged at my heartstrings or I, I was really pulling for him the you know we've got we've got this um, this American exchange student who's trying to like overthrow this government she's just there to make sure we have English scenes yeah I didn't care about her um, and the, the, yeah, like the, the dogs are neat, but I mean, I th- the, the dogs have to share time with the humans. Maybe that's the key. Maybe if we we're just hanging out with the dogs, I might have cared more. I have to say, I did love every time the mayor would have dissenters appear to him and be like, no, respectfully, let them talk. Let them go fun a bit. Let's, let, let's hear their nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there are moments of charm in this movie. Uh, it's it's they're kind of few and far between, but even even like right down to the uh, even right down to the dog getting cleaned and we find out he's a white dog. Oh, I mean that was that, that was, was a fun well moment. played. That was very, I don't mind spoiling that because I don't think it's like a, a huge giveaway or that's, anything like that. That's like that's like black books. Do you ever see Black Books? No. This is a British TV show. We love, it's amazing. There's this one episode where someone, he hires a cleaner. Like, you okay. know, one of these yeah, magical yeah. cleaning services. He comes in with a white glove and he goes, dirty. 
<laughs> and then he's like, what are you talking about? And he just does this in the air, right. and then he sees the dust on <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny because this is, at, at this point, Atari and the dog are hanging, like, they, they got separated off on its own, and Atari is still not found his own dog, but he's like, you're close enough, and I kind of want to, I'm feeling a bond with you, so he reaches out to him, and he gives him, like, he gives him a puppy biscuit, which which he loves, and he gives him a shampoo and clippers and everything like that. And it turns out it's like a totally different dog. <laughs> it's like, you know, this little bit of affection just took this junkyard dog and, you know, made him a, a prize show. That's one me. thing I will say to this movie that was actually done really well in that I, I think we kind of talked about this a few times on Tom. Douglas and I aren't quite pet people. We never really had pets growing up. Okay. I, I tell the story that when I was little, I went to my parents. I'm like, I want a dog because all children yeah. want dogs. Yeah. And my mother looked me dead in the face and told me, no, you can't have a dog because your father's allergic to the fur. I found out later in life that was a bullshit lie because <laughs> she didn't want to get a dog because she knew that she'd be doing 80% of the work, which... I agree with it's her. It's probably true. Right? Probably true. But and, still. But still. Right? Um, so we tend to kind of shrug to a lot of pet things in movies. Okay. Um, but I have to say, like, that progression of Chief becoming, like, a, a tamed pet. Yeah. Right? I kind of felt that that, that worked. He's grumpy <laughs> on the outside. Like, the whole movie, he's, he's like, he starts really, really crotchety mm-hmm. for, like, Act 1 and most of Act 2. And it's around the time that he gets his bath that we get this other side of Chief, mm-hmm. which is really, really sweet. Uh, you know, he's he's usually the lone dissenting voice when they have a vote, mm-hmm. which, that, that is actually a pretty good joke. Every time he's like, let's have a vote, and they all vote at once, and he's always the only one saying nay. And then he has to go along with it because yeah. he's outvoted. Yeah, and it's always his idea. I love it. Um, okay, we, we, we have to talk about the appropriation of this movie. Do we? We do. We do. You know what? Because... I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to really focus on it. And as the week went on and, and reviews started coming down and essays started getting written, it kind of it became a thing. It kind of became a thing that we hang out. It became popular to be annoyed at appropriation. No, but I mean, I don't usually like to, to jump on that. I like to let a work say something and, and do something. And the first domino to fall here was a review by Justin Chang in the LA Times and he was talking about everything from the fact that it's predominantly western voices to the wacky otherness of some of these scenes and and things to the mobsters being (laughs) it's an audio show people Um, to the the, the mobsters also fix it in the edit Tied up in sumo wrestling to the, you know, the, the sushi being the, the device. And saying all of this on its own would be questionable. But the fact that it's all coming from possibly the whitest director ever makes it not okay. You know? And just fuels... It's the, like, this is not... Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Let us be clear. No, it is. No, it's not. It really, it's really not. <laughs> That's what you're saying. No, what I'm saying is, and and maybe this is part so, of. Okay. All right. This is a big reason I think why this movie didn't work is Wes is not telling 
his story. Wes is telling a story that he had no business telling. If he he could have set this story anywhere. about dogs, he could have set this anywhere. Yeah. To hang it on Japanese culture, which he knows clearly not a whole lot about, it doesn't work. So does Lubitsch have no right to make an American film? Does no, it's not. It's not about stepping outside of your outside of your lane, right? It's this is not stepping outside of your lane. This is stepping right off the freeway. So and, so okay. Video games, sure. <laughs> Um, there's a video game. Where they're actually making a sequel. It's developed by a studio in Toronto. Wow. Right? Um, by the name of Guacamelee. Okay. Would you like to guess where that is set? I'm going to go to Mexico. Name? Correct. All right. Right? Um, I remember I, I watched a, a, a talk from the, one of the producers of the game. Um, he is very much from Mexico, but, you know, Canadian, Mexico, I don't know, whatever. Right? Um, and it is a very stereotypical Mexican thing, like you have Day of the Dead stuff and people, luchadors and all sorts of crazy stuff going on there. And he was talking about how all of these things in silos can be viewed as stereotypical and per perpetrating, perpetrating, propagating um, misconceptions as to what is normal life yeah. in Mexico, as opposed to these are just special things that have from time to time um, and he kind of went and said I guess you're right but at the same time isn't it good to look at all of these special things and to celebrate them in a wacky weird way right and and it's, it's the first time I've heard anyone talk about cultural representation even even if it's technically from someone who kind of has an understanding yeah. because a lot of these people and I'm not gonna say Wes Anderson did or didn't whatever yeah. right I'll say right <laughs> They did their research and knows what they're going on with. And there are definitely horrible stories of things that were done. You talked about Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is definitively a negative look yes. at what they're doing. But, I don't know, call me, call me naive. Call me an outsider to this world of complaining. Right. right? Where, when I look at this movie, point me to something that's negative. Point me to something that's bad other than the movie itself. <laughs> right? I mean, like, so here's... Okay. <laughs> Where I'll give you points is... The movie is already bad. So it's not like we're trying to say, yeah, but. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like I'm trying to say, this movie is racist, but it's a great movie. Just, just you know, just hang the racist sticker on it, but still see it because it's good. I think it's it's actually the opposite. It's hey, this movie is appropriating, but it doesn't matter because it's a bad movie anyways. It's you know what? I gotta be honest. It's it's the argument I always get into every t a lot of the time. We get into whitewashing of characters. Ghost in the Shell, Aloha, um, uh, uh, the the Wall movie with Matt Damon. I think it's called The Great Wall. It's called The Great Wall. Everybody's like, oh, it was terrible that this happened, and now it's, it's like, it was a bad movie. It's, yeah, yes, you, you had white people playing Asian people or playing white people in an Asian culture and playing the savior and doing that again. And yes, that and, is and bad. Let's, and let's make this clear. We're talking about the Great Wall. We're talking about a fucking dumbass monster movie. Yes, we are. Right? We're not talking yeah. about some no, historical no, biopic no, in which Matt Damon plays the magistrate. No, no, no exactly. <laughs> we are talking about something. That, and that's my whole point is I'm like saying it's not like this movie made a lot of money. 
but it's racist. Or it's not like this movie won a whole lot of awards, but it's racist. It was just bad. The, no, the, the, the tragedy of it is that now you're not going to tell that movie. No, but and I'm not worried about that here because so many other much better movies get created from this realm. But herein lies the thing. Like, push. I don't think. I don't think this is a story of me going like, but it's bad. So why are we arguing about it? Right. right? I just think that that isn't really there in this movie. This movie does. This no, movie, it's there. <laughs> like it's... this, this movie is appropriation only in the sense that it's set in Japan and Wes Anderson wrote it. Like, does that mean that no one's allowed to write a movie in another no, but culture? No, it's. It, you'd have to do some reading, and I will put some links into the show notes if you do want to do some reading. But there's there's a, part of the problem is that there's appropriation that you and I aren't even noticing. But a lot of people of of Asian descent are, and it's mm. everything from like the community's complacency in this whole fracas. They're like, it's it's a trope that happens in every Asian disaster movie is the community just goes along with it until it's too late, stuff like that, or, you know, stuff like the kind of creepy um, servant who comes in and out and he's there, the, the, the little guy in the bath. Mm-hmm. Like, while, you know, while the mayor is in his bath, there's a servant who comes in and does this cookie little thing and getting the, the thing ready. It's all, but that's all Wes Anderson I, tropes. That's the same thing with yeah. Grand Budapest, but with it, with Willem Dafoe just walking in and out. So, he just, but I mean, he, there at least he's more in his wheelhouse. That's the thing. If if oh, because they're all white in that movie, so yes, he's, if he's allowed because yes, if Takashi Miike was making this movie, we would go with it. Right? We would, so if Takashi Miike made the same exact movie, oh, shot yeah. for shot, yeah, we wouldn't complain. No. That's, oh, where in, yes. that's where lies my... Takashi my... Miike is, is, is welcoming us into the gallery. Wes Anderson is trying to sell us shit in a gift shop. It's, it's, I this don't know, movie... I don't know. It that, wasn't on this podcast. There was a different podcast I was listening to, and they were talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Right? And they were talking about something I'd never heard before, which is, number one... People in China didn't like that movie. Yeah, I knew that. Right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't... I wasn't paying attention at that point. I was just watching action movies. Right? People in China didn't like that movie for a lot of reasons. And then I found out through that podcast that... Um, Ang Lee. Ang Lee, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Ang Lee made that movie for the West. Yes. He made it specifically for us, yeah. saying, we're going to make a dumb kung fu movie. Yes. <laughs> and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And everyone revels in it. We all talk about all of the great things about this movie, but is that movie no different than what we're talking about here? Because he's appropriating everything from China. It's just that he's Chinese. It's allowed. Right? It's <laughs> you, you, you can't you come on. And therein lies the horseshit. I know, but it's I, I don't make the rules, man. No, no, no. There there lies the questioning of the rules. I I don't know. I like people it was, need to people need to take this as it comes. You can't just you can't just whitewash. No, but I mean it's the it's the storm it's the stormtrooper hitting his head. It's uh, it's that thing that once you see it, you will never not notice it. The second it was pointed out to me. It was all I could see, and it did not help that there was not enough else going on that I could say, yeah, we need to talk about this, but I think that it's got this and this and this and this. I'm saying, no, we need to talk about this because on top of all of it, the movie sucks. <laughs> you know, it, it gives me no joy to, to shred this movie. And again, it's a movie I'm probably going to watch again and probably going to hang out with. Your eyes will burn with all the appropriation. But I just, I, yes, prob- they probably will. There's just, there's too many other... I'll, re- I'll read the article and I'll see yeah. what he says. I, I haven't read yeah, it. There, there are, there, he is capable of better. Uh, the genre is capable of better. There's better stuff out there right now. 
and it has this little problem laced in that we're, you know, we're trying to call more and more attention to. Listen, Wes Anderson really truly, he is the whitest of the white directors. You say this from knowing the man. I say this from just looking at the guy (laughs) and listening to him talk, okay? This is because people still don't believe I'm Jamaican. This I I know. <laughs> uh, you know this isn't like this isn't like a Mexican coming into the North American system and making kind of a North American movie and putting his own Catholic North and Mexican slant on it and, and working in a different group. This is a very very white boy trying to branch out. Points for trying to branch out, but you branched in the wrong direction. He probably should have stayed in in the Budapest. Go back, yeah, go back to go Rushmore. Back to yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we could be here for a while talking about this movie. <laughs> I could continue um, to argue. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I said this about something else this, this, this week. It's, it's kind of a beautiful mess, but it's not beautiful enough, and it's actually not even messy enough. It's just a flat-out mess. Um, <laughs> But I'm we, upset. It, it means that I've only done bad movies on your podcast. No, but I mean, we were both, we were both really... At least this time we were both enthused. Yeah. And I mean, you did Out of Sight, so at the very least. I mean, I don't count that one because that one was no, no, a... That, that was a known pick. I don't that care. One. No, you gotta count that, man. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. Really, truly, everything else that we talked about, I did go into it wanting to enjoy With the exception of one. You knew the FBI. I, I, I FP, took that I bullet. Think. You know, I, I just, you know, I held open the jacket and I said, hit it. And Two in the chest, let's go. Um, however, we end every review here on the Matinee cast with something tangible or intangible we take away from this movie and keep a souvenir. Andrew Robinson, if you could keep a souvenir from the Isle of Dogs, what would be your souvenir? I'd take the bandana saying anti-dog. <laughs> Not the pro-dog one, the anti-dog one. I would have no idea what I would be doing, but I want to sit in the hacker corner. <laughs> that was funny. I got it, like, you know, we're talking about how bad this movie was. That was a good joke. The kid yeah. who's sitting there looks like the hacker, like he's dressed very nerdy, and he's very, you know, kind of, like, reserved. He comes up again, again later, but I love that the fact that they've got him over in the, in the side of the classroom, and right above him is a sign that says, Hacker Corner. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's, impl- I, I think obviously you can tell we're both coming down hard on this movie. Andrew Robinson, if you can give a rating to Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs on a scale of one to four stars, what do you give this movie? I'd give it one. Like, wow. it's, like, like, it's not bad enough that I'd want to tell you, please don't put a rating on Letterboxd. Like, just, yeah. or half a star to be like, this movie's trash, but this movie's kind of bad. Yeah. But it has enough little things that makes me go like, better than complete trash yeah um no this is a one and a half for me it's a really disappointing movie uh I can't even really recommend it as two star movie as like as, as, as I said as a beautiful mess because it's not beautiful enough or messy enough it's not close if somebody comes back and they say I really like it I'd be like what movie did you watch <laughs> it's cute um it's it, and it's funny because we're just a few weeks removed from A Wrinkle in Time which is so very clearly a film for children. Here's a film for children as well, which is supposed to be a grown-up movie. This is movie. not a movie for children. But I mean, no, but it, no, but it's it's not it's not Ghost in the Shell. You know what I'm saying? Like this, you can sit your kids down and have them watch this movie. There's no there's nothing objectionable in it. There's no nudity. There's no 
questionable behavior. Nobody gets killed. There are errors that come off. Ah, that's fine. <laughs> um, no, so it's you scar like, the children. No, I, I, I don't even think kids would. Kids would be bored. Yeah, by this probably. Movie, Especially know? the language part. Yeah, that's that's the part that really tells me it's not a children movie. Yeah. language. So uh, and I don't they, mean coarse language. Yeah. Just. Hey, maybe you uh, maybe you think we're both nuts. Maybe you loved Isle of Dogs, or maybe you think that we're not being hard enough on it. Uh, let me know. Ryan at the night, Nate at CA, Twitter. Send all your hate mail to at Gmail Reviews. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, tell, tell him why he's a racist. Uh, my appropriation is bad. Uh, Ryan at the matinee at CA, Twitter, or at matinee underscore CA, Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs? We are going to come back right after this. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side. Come on back. Love to talk about some more movies. Andrew Robinson, I'm Ryan McNeil. It's episode 196. You are. Okay. It's episode 196 of the Matinee Cast. We've been talking about Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. And I can speak for myself <laughs> in saying that it's actually kind of hard to come up with other sides. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but it's it's hard to come up with more than one. Usually I have no problems going kind of deep down the rabbit hole. But this was tough. Uh, but get us started. What was the closing movie that came to mind? I guess in this case, we're going to be talking about movies that are watching instead. <laughs> oh, uh, definitely you, instead. They're not what, bad movies. Okay, what did you come up with? So, like, it was upsetting to me because coming into this movie, I remember hearing a lot of talk about um, Kurosawa references and um, all of these films that I love. Like, I go deep dives in Kurosawa did an Ozu marathon on the podcast and I already talked about something that reminded me of Ozu so I could have talked about um, Ozu's filmmaking but the movie that came to mind like halfway through the movie I'm like it clicks like I know exactly what okay. what I want to pair with this is Mad Max right that wasteland oh, shit, yeah. that wasteland that everyone is in and fighting for their lives and you can pick any one of the Mad Max movies I mean I you could talk about Mad Max 2 where they're saving the child um, yeah. You could talk about my favorite, Fury Road, where it's all about the women, right, and saving them from... Can you talk about Thunderdome? I like Thunderdome. Wow. <laughs> it is dumb. Yes, it <laughs> but, is. But it is not, it is not, it is not cinephile approved, so we'll leave that out of the conversation. Um, I mean, yeah, so yeah, any, anything where, you're, where you've got, like, wasteland... Uh, action wasteland spectacle because I mean the Isle of Dogs is despite it being mostly just trash it is pretty cool right. like, like that was that was a cool visual of seeing all of these abandoned little communities in behind like the old power station and the old country club there's that boat yeah and Mad Max is pretty good at that even despite the fact that it's mostly barren land mm -hmm. they do make usually like deserts and highways look pretty damn good yeah. Thunderdome especially like even as ridiculous as Thunderdome is the actual Thunderdome is pretty damn good yeah and you've got you've got that whole section where they kind of explain to you how they figured out electricity using methane yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> stuff like I, like uh, once it clicked in my head I'm like yeah that's perfect this done Mad Max that's that's what I pair with this movie it's not a bad one it's not a bad <laughs> one at all um, my brain went to grown up stop action 
Um, I, you know, because I, I do like that animation. I have nothing against uh, computer animation. I, I like uh, it's too close to video games for you. No, no, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's weird because we're in an era where critics get all hot and bothered anytime the animation is so-called practical. So if it's stop motion, or if it's puppets, or if it's cells and inks, they like cream their shorts. Yeah, but if it's it took effort. But it, well, yeah, but I mean, I don't think that's fair because digital it animation takes it a lot of effort. Especially, especially if like me, you think about it as not the guy who's actually doing the sketches or doing the, the actual scenery, but the guy who has to code the physics engine to make sure that the hair works that yeah. way. So the, the animator has an easier time yeah. Yeah. putting no, in it's, hair. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of craft, there's a lot of revolution in, in digital animation. However, the example I'm going to talk about, well, the, the example I'm going to talk about is digital because all of it is now, um, but it is also uh, stop motion. Um, I'm going back a few years uh, to a Charlie Kaufman movie, and I'm going to talk about Anomalisa. <laughs> I only saw that the one time. I want to watch it again. Did you enjoy Anomalisa? It was a rough watch. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I'm not going to lie. That movie's brilliant. Right. The one thing I truly loved about that movie was the voices. Yes. Right. The way that he used that idea of Tom Noonan being everyone. Yeah. And and, Lee, and Jennifer Jason Lee as Lisa right. stands out because she's the only voice that's not Tom Noonan. She brings the only, life into his world. It, yeah, it's right. it's beautiful. So it's just, it's it's it is also stop motion. That movie is not for kids. No, at all. Don't make that mistake. It is weird as hell. Uh, I love it, the faces in that in that movie. They are the, the you know like there's another movie that's got design. That's a movie that has. A lot of things to say. That's a very, very mature movie. Um, it started out as a play, uh, a radio play. Yeah, it's it's a it's a story of. It's on Netflix too. Like if people are looking for it, it's very easy to find these days. Um, it's a story of a guy going to a convention um, where he is a speaker, and while he's there, uh, he, while he's there, he just has this weird series of encounters um, with the people in the convention, like the hotel management and um, some strangers in the bar, but he mostly just has a one night stand with this woman named Lisa. And so there's puppet sex, there's declarations of love, there's rejection, there's inner contemplation. It's gorgeous and it's, it's very, very simple, but every moment in that movie is just so tender that that is the kind of thing that I know, first of all, I know Wes Anderson is capable of, and I want out of a so-called grown-up animated movie. It's weird, because here we are talking about an animated movie set in Japan, and I'm thinking, I should be able to pull an anime marry-up to this movie out of my ass, no problem. And I was struggling so hard because this movie is nothing like almost every anime I've seen so far, and and, and I don't say and I mean that in a bad way, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of anime films now since you, since you requested. Anom yeah. Meanwhile, Anomalisa uh, seems to be cut from a similar cloth, but a better swath of that cloth. It's much more human, much more introspective, has much better things to say, is much clearer a vision 
in something like this. He might just be, like, that's the thing. He might have just finally gone too far into the twee abyss that he goes through, you know? Like, he, he may have finally just drifted beyond the rope. I mean, if you're talking about anime, okay. if, you, if, if you want to be obvious and kind of go where I went with the survival and the, the deserts and the wasteland, there is Fist of the North Star, which I haven't seen. But you might, I think you might have heard the name. It's, it's fairly popular from the time. Probably from you. <laughs> hey, Ryan, watch this. All right. Um, Mark it's, it down. It's, a, it's, it's mainly a long-running TV series. There, I think there are a few films. Um, but it's like if you watch it, if you ever watch an episode, you look at it and be like, shit, this is where Mad Max came from. Um, because it's very much like Mad Max, the desert um, wasteland after apocalypse. And it's melded in with Kung Fu as our protagonist is like a Kung Fu master and he's just roaming the lands kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's, it, is a, it is a show of its time. It's very much like a TV show where you kind of just have battles and things. It's not the thing I'd give you to say, hey Ryan, watch this anime. Right. Because like, it's the kind of thing I'd show you where I'd be like, alright, watch one episode just to kind of see it for the sake of it. Right. But you don't need to sit through however many episodes that thing is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, no, it's, it's, you know, that, that's the thing. Like, you would think that a movie like this could marry up with something like Spirited Away. But I mean, Spirited Away is just leaps and bounds ahead of something like this, or a movie like My Neighbor, My Neighbor Totoro, mm-hmm. which again is leaps and bounds. But it's ahead not so much movie. it being better because we already said the movie's bad. So anything we talk about, more or less, is going to be something that's leaps and bounds ahead because we we want to talk about it. No, you... but I just mean just narratively. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's like I, I at least I. I I'll spot you failing to execute, but come up with a concept that works. And that's the thing, like, the concept of this is really flimsy, whereas the concept, even just a simple concept of something like, you know, The Girl Who Left Through Time is a fantastic movie, and that's, that, that's what a lot of them are. Like, a lot of those movies, the animation isn't terribly complicated, but the concepts are just flat-out beautiful. You know, even if it's a, a, a very simple concept, like a movie like... I know a lot of people didn't like... One of the first anime movies I ever saw was one called From Up on Poppy Hill, um, which is not a very um, magical movie. It's not one of those, it's not that kind of anime. Um, but yet, it is still a really beautiful and honest uh, animated film. Uh, another one that I like, you know, the more recent one, which again is more grounded, um, kind of like this one, sort of wants to be, is um, The Wind Rises. And that movie is just leaps and bounds ahead of this one because of its emotional honesty and its introspection. This movie doesn't have that, whereas I think a lot of the anime has those kinds of things. What are you looking for? I'm. I'm. There is a movie now that you're continuing on okay that I'm like this movie technically fits it's not a movie I love okay right? um, and I'm trying to pull it up off of my letterbox I know I watched it within the last six months um, so it has socialist overtones <laughs> um, why can't I find the movie I want to find here we go oh it is from last year oh. it is called Napping Princess okay right it's 
an anime film by Kenji Kamiyama. We'll, we'll hear everyone complain about my pronunciation. Um, and it's about this young girl who, um, when she goes to sleep, has these fantastical, yeah. magical dreams. As, as is the way in most anime films. She's a princess in her. Right. Um, oh, in, in real life, her, her father is an engineer working in his shop in a small town. And he's developing... Well, not, not developing. He has auto-driving working. Okay. <laughs> um, and everything kind of ties together. And it's this idea of the, the world kind of... In both worlds, kind of dealing with... Expunging magic in the dreams. They don't like magic. The big corpor- corporations and in the real world, the whole driving and there's a big overtone of the the in the auto industry in Japan. Okay. And I didn't like this movie. Yeah. But talking about movies that marry up and are anime films from right. Japan, like I feel looking at the same thought ideas of um, this movie expunging dogs and bringing cats and all of the other things that go on in the world, not necessarily. The distinct narrative of like dogs saving people or people yeah, yeah. saving dogs. Yeah. Um, I feel like kind of comes close to what you're looking for. Um, yeah. Since you're kind of getting specific, and I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to kind of pull it out of my ass. <laughs> but yeah, Napping Princess. I didn't like it, but people might. <laughs> um, Actually, it was a movie I watched because I saw a lot of people online talking how much they loved it. So okay, okay. Um, it's. You know, the only other movie that I can think of... Did you think of any others that you would go along with this? Um, no. It's I, a hard I, one. Like, I, mean, I, I mean, I guess I would talk about a few Ozu movies. Sure. For the the way the world... Because, I mean, we talked about it. Wes Anderson loves to, like, leave his frames there. Yeah. If only... Like, what he loves to do is have the symmetrical shot. Yes. And then have it just shift just an inch yeah and play with that where you're moving with the camera and still keeping symmetrical yeah which is a fun gimmick sure. like it's we love it yes we do right um, but the king of symmetrical right is Yasujiro Ozu um, and I mean most people when you hear his name the, the one movie they'll talk about is Tokyo Story yeah that's probably his most famous film is he late spring is that him yeah. too yeah that movie's fantastic yeah um but if you get to some of his color movies, oh really? Okay. Right. Okay. Some of them are downright gorgeous, right? Um, I think the one that Douglas actually liked after the marathon, and I loved it because it was more comedic, um, even though, in a very weird sense, yeah. um, was this more movie called Ohio, which is Good Morning, okay, um, which is about a family in which two children decide to go on a silent strike because their parents won't buy them a television. And at the I like same, this already. And at the same time, you have this whole thing going on where the children and the, the, some of the adults that interact with the children who are like friends of the children, not just the parents, um, have this whole farting game going on. Where, like, you'll see, a ch- I think you see it in, like, the first shot. You see a group of children together, and then you'll see them be like, pull my finger kind of thing, <laughs> right? And then the joke keeps going where you get to the last child, and he pulls his finger, and it makes a different sound effect on what this is, shit's pants. Because <laughs> he's training. Uh. Like, they, they, talk, they talk about it in the sense that they're training their, okay. their bodies for this fart joke. That's funny. Right? Okay, that's um, good. <laughs> Ohio? Yeah. I gotta see that movie. <laughs> Um, it's actually a short one. It's, I think it's like a 90 minute movie. But there's a lot of other things going on yeah. in that world. Yeah. And 
I gotta got go look into that <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, it's, I, you know, even if we're just going down the easy pole and saying, watch another Wes Anderson movie, I would rather somebody went back to Moonrise Kingdom and see just the pure, innocent beauty that this guy could pull out of childhood. And, you know, what happens when he express, when he's exploring his daddy issues? Maybe that's the, maybe he needed to stay in his lane. <laughs> maybe that's all, in his silo. Because that But what if he wants to talk about mommy issues? Too bad. I mean, sure. But, <laughs> but you know, they, they, they gotta be white folk, unfortunately. Um, you know, Moonrise Kingdom... Danny Glover was in one of his movies. I know, I know. Right? Moonrise <laughs> Kingdom is everything this movie is not. Moonrise Kingdom is... Uh, it's tragic, it's beautiful, it's on point, um, it has just so many memorable scenes and visuals and designs. I've had, like, you know, we're like not even 90 minutes removed from this movie, and I'm having trouble remembering a lot of the individual, like, I, I, I can remember what, like, there's five main dogs, I can describe three of them. That's weird, you know, whereas I can describe all of the main players in Moonrise Kingdom, which I haven't seen that many times, I can tell you what Sam Shukrusky looks like. I can tell you what Edward Norton as the Scoutmaster looks like. I can tell you what Bruce Willis looks like. Harvey Keitel with the cape. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you all of those because they were so well-crafted and so Social services. Social services. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's awesome. Love it. Um... You know, I, that's the thing is, I, we've, we've spent a lot of time today just shredding Wes Anderson, which pains me because I love Wes Anderson. Look, he had, so he's I've finally been, had a miss. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, there's nowhere right. to go but up now. You know, it's, it's the thing Damien was talking about with Chris Nolan and his love for Chris Nolan. He was afraid that whenever Chris Nolan finally made a miss, it would be so god-awful. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it would have to be this... this Dramatic dive in form. I, I, I know a lot right? of people who don't like Interstellar. I don't like the end of that. <laughs> oh come on! I, like when once they get into like the bookshelf crap. That's like that's awful. When I, when I die, I want to find a bookshelf. That, that's you know. No, that's, no. Yeah, but not a bookshelf that like you you push strings and tell yes, <laughs> yes. I want to be able to communicate through the bookshelf. <laughs> we have digressed into a very very weird place, so I think that this is as good a time as any to thank you for tuning in to Matinecast 196. I would, of course, love to thank my guest, Andrew Robinson, for coming out on a Friday night. Uh, thank you for showing up. Uh, on time, even. Well done. Really. I'm, I'm closer. I'm closer. So yeah, I'm going to say it's, like it's, it's, it's less than a four-hour flight. <laughs> <laughs> Come on back on Monday, April 9th, for episode 197. I believe we're going to be talking about Quiet Place. There's a lot coming out in between then and now, so we might change to something else. Andrew, of course, can be heard on Tump, the Unnamed Movie Podcast. When we record. When you record. <laughs> what are you guys talking about next? Um, next, we have... Uh, what is it again? It is Annihilation, assuming we don't screw Ooh. that up. Okay. Along with... Hopefully, Douglas watches it. Along with us talking about what Damien continues to call Lady in the Water, Shape of Water. Ah. He keeps calling it Lady in the Water to annoy the crap out of me. I mean, he's, he's not wrong. <laughs> but, uh, and if people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? I am at GmanReviews. Very nice. My site, of course, is thematinee.ca. For more podcasting content, you can go to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can find back episodes on Google Play, your welcome hollow, Apple's iTunes app and the iTunes store. Um, 
Stitcher Radio. Blueberry. That is an option. Are you not on Stitcher Premium? Uh, I don't know if I'm on Premium, but I'm on Stitcher Radio. Uh, Blueberry, all the ways to subscribe for free. Uh, Pocket Cast, I'm on Pocket Cast too. Audible didn't pick you up? No, Audible did not pick me up. Um, subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback you left at the matinee.ca. Uh, in the comment section of the site, you can email me, ryan at the matinee.ca. Matt, ryan at the matinee.ca. Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts, sir? Um, good dog. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> for the socialists, I'm Ryan McNeil. We'll see you at the matinee. It's my